Finances are one of the most important parts of owning your own business, and they're also one of the scariest. But like most things in life that we're afraid of, it's mostly because we don't know how easy it can be to do. In this week's episode of Own Your Business, I sit down with finance expert Caitlin Magnuson to discuss what holds you back from feeling confident about managing your business's money, three big mistakes owners make with their finances, what you can DIY and what you should outsource, and finally, ways to get your books done without stressing yourself out. Own Your Business is a podcast for event professionals who want to grow with proven approaches. I'm Sam Jacobson, a sales, pricing, and copywriting expert in the wedding industry. Throughout my career, I've booked hundreds of events for millions in revenue. I've also led teams in premium and luxury markets. Now I coach people like you with my company, ID Action Consulting. It's not easy to run a business, especially if it's a business of one, because we aren't born knowing everything. Like you, I had experts who showed me the way when I was starting out and when I was ready to level up. I hope this podcast gives you the confidence to own your business. Caitlin, thanks so much for joining me on Own Your Business Podcast. I'm super excited to dig into all things money matters with you. Uh, But before we get going, can you do a quick little introduction so that people in the audience can get to know you a little bit? Yeah, of course. I'm so excited to be here. I'm Caitlin Magnuson, the founder of The Freelance CFO, a shame-free full-service accounting firm for creative business owners and entrepreneurs. And I've been doing this in some capacity for seven years and have just really loved every minute of it. So I'm excited to be chatting. I mean, about all things money, who doesn't love to talk about money? Well, <laughs> I love to talk a lot about of money. People. <laughs> a lot of people do. And I want to dig into that because I think there was something interesting that you said in uh, your little summary there with this concept of shame and surrounding money, because I think maybe for people like you and me who are comfortable because of our experience and it even could be our upbringing or uh, our education or early jobs, we are comfortable talking about money, but money can be a bit of a taboo subject and, and even really hard to, uh, hard to address for a lot of people who are business owners. Can you tell a little bit more about what your experience is with people that do have some feeling of shame around that? If I had a dollar for every time we dealt with shame or anxiety that stemmed from shame around money with clients, I would not have to have a business. Um, I think at this point, it's something that I see really frequently with a lot of our clients and it's, you know, it's limiting beliefs. It's shame around, well, what if I make too much? What if my business doesn't survive? What if, you know, I can't leave my day job because I may be using this as a side hustle. There are all of these things that come up that we tell ourselves or that have been ingrained in us by those around us that I think can be really damaging beliefs to have. And so what I really wanted to do with my firm is approach money and approach taxes and accounting and all of these kind of terrifying subjects for a lot of business owners from a point of, Hey, we love what we do. We know what we're doing. You know what you're doing. Let's help you bridge the gap because I, I'm not a genius in every aspect. Like you throw me into graphic design. Oh my God. I'm going to just absolutely tank, but throw me into taxes, finances, accounting, numbers, retirement, all of that. So where can we be bridging that gap? and helping to educate and empower instead of coming in with this, you know, patronizing or this shaming, you didn't know that. Why wasn't your business registered? Why were you doing X, Y, Z? Well, because most business owners don't know things until they learn them. You don't just come into this being an expert in all things, you know, that comes to running your business. 
Yeah, I, I say something similar uh, to a lot of my clients, and I say it on the podcast intro, I think, which is that you're not born knowing everything and, and that you have to learn at some point. And it's way better to learn from somebody else's mistakes than your own. Uh, it's yes. even better to learn from somebody's successes rather than have to learn from your mistakes. So, so you, you know, you run into this quite a bit. I'm curious, how do these limiting beliefs or uh, avoidance of talking about or working with finances show themselves in businesses that you work with? So it, it shows up in a lot of different ways. So number one, it can show up in fear of success or failure, right? So maybe we're working with someone and they don't want to raise their prices, but they're overbooked right now. They're worried if they raise their prices, they're not going to have the bookings. Everything's going to crumble around them. If you're exhausted and on the road to burnout, raising your prices will probably only help at that point because you should be working a little bit less. So it'll show up that way. It will show up where there's avoidance, you know, and that can be, Hey, I've avoided all of this for the last three years. I haven't filed my taxes. I'm really stressed out about it. It's just this weight sitting on my shoulders all the time. I'm ready to do something about it. Can you help? Which is great. And then there's also, and we've had this even with clients of ours where they will tell us, Hey, I'm really anxious about, you know, when I see a Voxer come over from you, or I see a communication come over, um, it's not anything that you're doing. It's just that I'm stressed about money. So can you, like, if you send an audio to me, can you put a description in the bottom that says, Hey, there's nothing bad here. It's about X, Y, Z. And that's made a really big difference for a lot of our clients, because there are times where, you know, I'll have something that's not related to any of that, that may stress me out. And having that little blurb at the bottom saying like, Hey, there's nothing bad in here. It feels very millennial, um, for us to be doing that within the business, but it'll show up because they, they'll avoid it. Otherwise, if I just drop an audio in there, sometimes it may be four or five days because they're like, Oh God, it's tax time. Like, are they telling me what I owe? Is it more than I have to pay? And so there's all this fear that bubbles up around that. Like, I don't know what I don't know. Do I have enough money saved? Do I have too much money saved? Am I not writing things off that I should be? And all of that can just send business owners into a spiral. You know, it's it's so interesting that you talk about this, uh, you know, avoidance is information avoidance and like people not wanting to open up or listen to a voice memo from you. Uh, I'm in this behavioral economics program at Texas A&M. And in one of the classes that I was taking this last term, we specifically talked about the sources of information avoidance and it, just listening to you explain the kind of manifestations that we see this fear the shame uh, uncertainty doubt whatever it may be with money it manifests itself in these awful ways and and what happens though when somebody does listen to the voicemail is that like they get a friendly voice that's on the end their end of it saying hey you got this i got you it's really easy we're going to do this one two three and then you get done with it and you look back on it and you think as a business owner why did i ever avoid that in the first place Absolutely. I think that over time, we see a lot of our clients get better with replying because there's there's almost some trauma that kind of can come with their money story, or maybe they've worked with, and we have this a lot where, you know, I, oh, I worked with my parents' accountants and they didn't really think that my business was legitimate or they kind of looked down on it, which we see happen a lot with, you know, wedding industry and creative businesses where they may be making six figures and they've had accountants snub them because they don't fully understand what it is they're doing. They just like, oh, pat you on the head. This is a cute little like side hobby business. Like, no, you're supporting your family and 
doing, you know, this amazing thing, you need someone that understands that. And so a lot of them will come in just like, am I asking a stupid question? This might be dumb, but, or, you know, they'll preface it with all of these qualifiers. And it's like, no, you can ask questions because you should be able to understand this information. It's your business. Like, yes, we'll give you information. We'll give you, Hey, in your shoes, I do this, but here are the other alternatives so you can make an educated decision. And I think over time that builds a lot more confidence and they realize like, oh, okay, I don't have to Google everything. This doesn't also have to be terrifying. And I can still make empowered decisions that I feel good about instead of just kind of blindly going like, mm-hmm. is there money in my bank account? Cool. I can keep doing what I'm doing and I don't really know what that is. Yeah, it, it's, um, I think it's uh, bookkeeping, financial support, direction, strategy from an accountant. These are some of the things that I would recommend to every business owner that they outsource. You know, I'm a business coach and I'm happy to talk about most things. I consider myself a bit of a polymath when it comes to operating a business, marketing and selling a business, servicing clients. I've been in most of the roles. I'm not okay doing the super majority of the financial work, even for our own company, because even with 15, 18 years of millions of dollars of management of finances, I still feel nervous going out on my own. If you are listening to this, just know that like you would hire an attorney, you should hire somebody for your finances, whether that's a bookkeeper or a temporary CFO, uh, you know, part-time CFO to come in once a month uh, to offer consulting, a tax strategist who's, you know, a a CPA, uh, whatever it may be that you need for your business to operate. There are certain things that you frankly cannot be trusted with uh, having only one set of eyes on, even if to have a second set of eyes on to do reconciliations, for instance, Mm -hmm. those are things that you have got to outsource. And I, I, I want everybody to recognize that it's okay to raise your hand and say, I don't know, or I'm not an expert and I need help. I need somebody who is. I think that's really important. I think so many of us wait too long to hire assistance. I know I did in my business. I waited way too long and also didn't hire strategically at the very, very beginning of things. And that that's something that's changed a lot. But I think that so many business owners wait to hire legal. They wait to hire finance because they think that it has to be all or nothing. A one hour consult when you're getting things going or you're in the first few year of your business, like that can go so far towards, Hey, these are your action steps. When you hit these milestones, we should be talking. Mm -hmm. And then maybe it's a twice a year. It's a once a quarter. It's, you know, as you're growing, you don't have to jump in and have everything right away, but that targeted action and direction at the beginning makes such a big difference in the trajectory of your business. And then you also have confidence that you're not kind of stepping in it, right. As you're going along and growing and having that looming anxiety of like, Ooh, am I covered? Am I taken care of? You know that you have it and you know, when the next time is that you need to contact them. You know, there's two things that come to mind. Uh, Katie, uh, my wife and business partner, we, we talk about uh, making sure that your house is clean before the house cleaner comes over. Or e- even when we go to the hotel, Katie's like, do you want to make the bed before we leave? I'm like, no, I'm going to leave a $10 tip because that's what we, we do right. as guests. And that's what they do as as employees of the company. And, and, and that's just the role that we have. We, I think, I hear quite a bit from my own clients that 
they want to make sure they get everything all ready to go before they reach out to me or uh, they they want to make sure that they tidy up uh, their website before you know we go through and evaluate whether or not they need a new one uh, right. or whatever it may be they want to get things dialed in before they go and present you with hey what's wrong and I, I do think a lot of that has to do with uh, you know I don't know maybe with shame but at least with concerns over you know being called out for uh, any number of things. And I think once you get through that vulnerability and you can ask the expert, you're going to see really good things happen for your business. And that's certainly true in finances because there's a lot of unknown unknowns out there and uh, you can't predict them if you have no clue what's coming around the corner. It's a whole new language for many people. Right. And one that's really important to learn to speak early, as you said. So let me ask Caitlin, what are what are you know what are some big mistakes that you see wedding pros specifically make when it comes to their finances and and operating that part of their business yeah so the the biggest mistake and this is going to be overarching for everything is not separating their finances so registering their business is great it doesn't have to always happen right away. A lot of times you know you're starting as a side hustle you're not sure if it's going to be a full-time thing it might be really small the number one thing that you can do is to have separate finances for your business. And what I mean for that is it can be a dedicated personal account. It can be a true separate business account because you've registered, you've gotten an EIN, all of that, but everything income and expenses runs through that account. And the reason that I recommend doing that so strongly and that it's such a big mistake if you don't do that is it makes it much easier to understand your profitability because even if you don't have you know, a bookkeeper, an accountant, anything else, you can get to the end of the year, the end of the quarter, and everything is in that account. You can have all your income, all your expenses, and see where everything sits. If it's commingled between your personal and business, it's a nightmare. A, come tax time. B, to understand what you're making. And I see that mistake a lot where someone's like, well, I have money in the account. Like, it might be fine. But they have no idea, like... What are they booking the most of? Like, where's their profit actually coming from? What could they be doing more of? And furthermore, if they do look to outsource that, maybe they get to the end of the year, they're like, oh God, I need help with taxes. Like, this is such a mess. It's much less expensive because it's much less time consuming to then outsource all that information for taxes or to outsource your bookkeeping or to do anything else. You have so much more data there. The other really big mistake that I make is financial. It's, it's financial, but it's a little bit more tangential. It's not properly documenting associate shooters um, or associate photographers. And what I mean by that is we tend to get to the end of the year and there's people that have been paid via Venmo, via Zelle, via cash, via check. It's kind of all over the place, right? Sometimes maybe via their own invoicing software, which is great. They get to January 10th and they're like, oh God, I have to do a 1099 or something for these people, don't I? It's due by January 31st. So that you're then trying to get a hold of people that are normally still on holiday or they're sick because it feels like everyone and their brother gets sick right around the first of the year. And they're getting back into the flow of things after the holiday season. It is nearly impossible to get responses from everyone. Mm -hmm. So I think documenting that upfront, hey, I'm going to work, you know, Sam, you're going to work with me as an associate. I need your W-9. Here's a contract. Let's discuss how you're going to be paid and make sure that we agree on everything. That makes things so much cleaner. You take that and it can be digital or it can be paper. Most people I think would be digital because most people don't think own a printer. I am one of those people that owns a printer. Uh, so I actually put them in a file, which makes me feel a lot older than I am. 
but document it, put it in a folder in your email. Then at the end of the year, you have all that. You can say, Hey, so-and-so can you just confirm that none of this information has changed? A lot of times it's so much quicker to get a response. And then you're taking care of come tax time, because what happens is you can actually be fined $250 for each of those 1099s that doesn't get filed. that's supposed to be. And so that just adds so much stress into the season that doesn't need to be there. And I know that's kind of an unexpected one to probably pop up with, but it's the season we're at that kind of end of the year prep mode. And we've been going through W9s and getting everyone all squared away specifically for the end of the year. I like that, that, you know, that's, uh, I think the W9s or 1099, how to classify employees, all that stuff is a little bit complex once you get started, but it's really easy when you get into it. Mm-hmm. And and I do think that that's one of those things that people avoid. They're like, I don't know what to do with it. You know, this contractor, how, what do I, how do I handle the situation? It's pretty straightforward. Like you said, you got to get a W9 filled out and start a file, and then you got to send them something after January 1st. And right. yeah, it's, it's really not hard. I, we, attach when we send out new invoices to clients we just attach a w9 with that That, that's what we do as a vendor but i do think that having uh, like a simple checklist of things that you do beforehand i love that you included in addition to the w9 getting some sort of agreement that that goes on between the two of you especially if you are having somebody who does work for you as a contractor you need to make sure that you clarify who's getting the social media rights who owns the intellectual property whose client it is you also want to get an nda and probably a non-solicitation agreement yep. a lot of people talk about ndas it's not really ndas that i would recommend for people to think about with associates and secretaries. it's a non-solicitation a non-solicitation agreement says in short that the person who is doing the the associate level work for you is not able to go out and solicit their business or ask for people to buy their services from them. You want to have something like that because you don't want somebody to come in and and take business from underneath your nose while they're out doing work and getting paid for it. So exactly. I, I love I love that one. I think also one of the things I want to go to that I'll add in is a big mistake and I want to kind of get your take on it and how you would recommend people address it because it's a mistake that I make. And that is just sitting down once a month and doing your expenses, coding stuff, making sure that the books are reconciled. I'm like, if I could do it once every two to three months, I feel like I'm on top of it. I will say that I just waited six months to do um, 2022's reconciliations. My bookkeeper was not very happy, I know. But you know, here's the thing, Caitlin, it took me like two hours to go through you know, I forget what it was. It was like 450, 650 transactions. You know, we use QuickBooks online. It starts to create, you know, computer learning where the coding mm-hmm. is, you know, sorted out. And by, the, you know, it got going a lot faster. But, but sitting down and coding your invoices, reconciling your books to make sure you get paid and the money actually goes to the yes. bank. You need to do those things. I recommend to people once a month. Do you agree with that as kind of a time frame? Would you, would you do it? more often or less often? Yes and no. I would do categorizing and receipt archiving weekly. Weekly. I like to have like a 15 minute financial date where you can sit down and like, I use HubDoc. All of our clients use HubDoc. You can use, I mean, QuickBooks has it, Xero has it, like all the wave has it where you can just snap your receipts into there. Because I know a lot of times all of our photographers will go get like Chipotle or coffee or whatever. And you'll get a digital receipt a lot of times, right? That gets lost. So snapping a screenshot and uploading that while you're there thinking about it, A, can be really helpful. So either be doing that as the receipts come through, but if you are traveling regularly, 
I recommend doing it at least once a week. I just got back from an accounting conference in New Orleans about a week and a half ago, and I had a bunch of paper receipts shoved into my wallet that looked like absolute garbage. I got home, laid them all out, took all of my pictures, got them into there, and then got it all synced with my accounting. Now, reconciling, reviewing your month-end books, I do that once a month in okay. my own business. Okay. We do that for our clients once a month. I don't think you should go longer than that. I think that you could do once a quarter if maybe you were a side hustle, a small business, a hobby business, just getting going. I don't love that though, especially if you're rapidly growing. I think that that can take too long for you to catch problems. And if something goes wrong, it can take a while to correct what's in your books. Or if something, a bank feed drops off or something else you know, goes through that you didn't catch because it's been three months. If it happens, I think during tax season, it was almost three months that I didn't do our books for because I still do all of our own books because tax season, you do everyone else's first. So the cobbler's kid has no shoes. Yes, exactly. It's not the goal, but it does happen. And so don't beat yourself up, get back into there, get back on a routine. And I literally 15 minutes for my company. We have seven employees. So we have payroll, we have, you know, transactions coming through. We have contractors. It takes me 15 minutes a week if I'm on top of it every week. And so just to kind of clarify some of these terms that we're talking about here, because I know it can seem like a little bit of a foreign language to people. So when we're talking about reconciliation, what we're really talking about is making sure that all the things between accounts, the debits and credits, the ins and outs, the pluses and minuses are just balancing out as they should, because sometimes the communication doesn't always get through and that can cause problems, whether you don't get the money transferred from your merchant service to your actual checking account or a fee gets doubled up. I remember we had something, a $10,000 mistake happened last year and we only caught it through reconciliation or sometimes an invoice can get coded as paid, but it actually didn't get paid. And so mm-hmm. you don't go, you don't go back. So these are this reconciliation is something that I don't hear many other people talk about, but it's one of the most important things you can do for your business. And it's something that a skilled bookkeeper can do for you. And it doesn't have to be, in fact, you should not DIY. You should have a second set of eyes go through and do that. That's the whole point of the reconciliation is somebody does their best or computers do their best. And then an expert goes through with a second set of eyes and really scrutinizes it with with a a high level of detail. I also want to clarify one term in there, which is the idea of a bookkeeper versus, you know, an accountant. A bookkeeper is kind of like a junior level accountant who takes care, can take care of day-to-day type transactions, more lower level administrative work. Whereas an accountant may be a full-blown CPA who you're going to pay two to five times as much as a bookkeeper because they're really thinking big picture strategically, uh, you know, uh, tax implications and other uh, business finance oriented areas. So can you talk a little bit about, you know, what you think a business should have as far as a bookkeeper and or an accountant? Yeah. So that's actually kind of, we're structured with several of those positions here so that our clients can kind of dip into each of those areas as needed. So we have bookkeepers. We actually have junior bookkeepers that help with a lot of our data entry receipt documentation, all of that. We have a tax strategist and then we have myself and then we have another controller and we're not even going to throw a controller into this. We'll use controller as accountant um, in this example, but essentially, yes, an accountant is more of the high level. You're not generally going to see an accountant doing everything from the ground up when it comes to bookkeeping. So, you know, Sam, you come to us, you're like, Hey, Caitlin, I want my finances taken care of who does what you'd have a junior bookkeeper in there. You'd have a bookkeeper and then you would have our tax strategist in there. And then if you had HR, payroll, sales tax, anything else, that's kind of big brain, but not directly tax. That's what I handle on my side. You don't find that at every firm. 
I have kind of a, a different background that really plays well into that. But essentially the junior bookkeeper and the bookkeeper work really closely together. You talk with them the most because they're in your finances day to day, whether you're categorizing and they're reviewing, you know, there's a lot of different things or they're categorizing and just clarifying questions with you. And so they're doing all of the day to day. They're doing a lot of the month end reporting. Then you have someone like myself or a tax strategist or an accountant that is reviewing on a regular basis from that high level perspective. Are there any corrections, adjustments, mileage, like bigger picture automobile things, retirement stuff that we need to be talking about, tax strategy, quarterly estimates, and end of year tax prep. And so that's where you see the distinction of day-to-day versus really big picture long-term planning between the two roles or areas. And this is this is something that is done with multiple people involved, because frankly, if you have an accountant doing all of your work, you're going to pay more money than if you had a bookkeeper, a junior bookkeeper, because it's just not the same skill level. Absolutely. Right. And you're you're able to do so much more financially or your your finances, I should say, are able to go so much further if you're able to diversify who you're paying when it comes to that. Because yes, there are some accountants that will do the bookkeeping, but you are going to pay a higher hourly rate. I equate it a lot to working with a law firm and working with a senior partner versus a junior partner. The billable hours are going to be significantly different. Or or having a paralegal do some of the research Absolutely. that needs to be done, right? And that that's the paralegal would be the bookkeeper, junior bookkeeper yes. equivalent. You you don't want to pay those high rates if you don't need to. Because frankly, it's just not necessary to have somebody at that level do the work. What are some things that you are cool with business owners DIYing? You know, obviously there are some things that you want to have done that are, you know, going to be, you're going to be held accountable for federal and state regulations and compliance issues. There's some things that probably should be done like reconciliation, but what are some things that you're like, you know what, that's cool if you DIY it. I think this might be a little bit controversial, but I'm cool with clients DIYing to an extent. And depending on who they are and where their aptitudes are, a lot of their books. However, I think it's really worth having an end of year review or a quarterly review if you are DIYing it. Because I can tell you, having done that with a lot of our a la carte clients who are like, you know what? I have less than 50 transactions a month. I feel really comfortable in here. They've done, well, a lot of times they'll do a training with us. And I just did one yesterday, like, show me what I need to know. Make sure everything is set up appropriately. We recorded it. They're then able to take it. You know, maybe they have a smaller budget. They're not able to outsource all of their bookkeeping right now. So they're doing their day-to-day categorizing. They're doing their reconciling. We're reviewing all of that for them on a quarterly or an annual basis. And that lets them feel really confident and also have a pretty big cost savings. When they get larger, that's normally the first thing that they outsource. Mm -hmm. As soon as there's money available, they're like, I am so done. There's maybe 5%. They're like, no, I love doing this. It's great. It's my favorite thing. I love being in the numbers. The other 95% are like, oh my God, I have the money. Please take it now. Uh, I don't want to do it. I just want to know what I need to know from everything that's going on. So doing your categorizing. And by categorizing, you mean by coding the expenses that you have. So like if you have a company credit card, like we we have obviously checking account and savings account for business. We have a couple of different credit cards for business. And so, you know, PayPal account for business, all that stuff. And so every month I'm going through or sometimes every six months I'm going through and and recording the category of that expense, whether it was a subscription or an office expense or an attorney fee or an advertising cost, whatever it was, I'm just going through QuickBooks online and I'm, I'm using the drop down menu to figure out what category that goes into. That is something that most people should be able to do as long as they have a bit of a training from a bookkeeper and accountant. 
Absolutely. Yeah. And literally like a 30 minute recorded training can go such a long ways. People overthink it. <laughs> you know, should this be advertising? Should this be office expenses? Should this be subcontractor? Should this be whatever? And so there's some really clean rules that you can just kind of run through for each person's business. Hey, you know, do you have associates? Do you like frequently buy gear? Are you upgrading things? Okay, cool. And we actually put little sub descriptions for a lot of those. Like this is Adobe, Canva, and Lightroom or the same thing. But yeah, gives you an example so that they know, oh, cool. That's where I put these things in there. And, you know, advertising is going to be your hosting and website design or whatever else comes through that needs to go in there. So then they know, and it can just kind of trigger that, but absolutely. There's no reason, especially when you're getting started and you don't have a lot of cash flow and you don't have a lot of transactions. Outsourcing bookkeeping doesn't always make sense right then. So doing your own categorizing, picking what it is, and that's just for tax purposes. That's the whole reason you're categorizing. And I think a lot of people run into oh, but I have my bank feed. Like, why do I need to categorize everything? Why do I need to keep receipts is a really common one that I get because it may show Amazon on your bank statement, but that doesn't mean that like, did you buy clothes? Did you buy a camera? Did you buy a computer? Like having the receipt proves to the IRS what you bought and that it's most likely for business and categorizing it means you don't have to go through everything at the end of the year and try and figure out where should each of these be for tax classification purposes. And I think that's something that a lot of people will put off, get to the end of the year. And then be like, I don't know what I bought. Like, I'm just going <laughs> to guess what this is in here. And like, that that's not great to be doing for so many reasons. So doing that regularly is something that they can totally DIY taxes. I don't recommend DIYing once you get to a certain level. And I never recommend DIYing once you get to an S corp or a partnership level or anything above like a sole proprietor or a single member LLC. If you've gone through your accounting, if you have separate bank accounts, if you're really confident, or maybe even you've bought our home office expense sheet or the mileage trackers or things that go with that TurboTax, I hate saying this. I'm not sponsored by them. TurboTax does a pretty good job of walking you through everything that you need. I'm not horribly concerned in maybe the first year of business or so. If you're doing that, I would still highly recommend a consult the first or the second year to make sure that you're not missing out on massive deductions or retirement contributions because people sleep on those. Yeah, I think that's good advice, uh, especially uh, the retirement contributions, because that's such a great way to earn money long term, especially taking advantage of some of the things that you get as a uh, as an S Corp, uh, if if that's your tax filing status, there's so much out there. I'm an advocate also of uh, hiring somebody to do your taxes. I wasn't when I, I think my first year I did not hire one. And it was, you know, we didn't crack six figures. It was not a lot of transactions. There weren't a lot of business expenses. Mm-hmm. But I realized how important it was in just a second year of business to make sure I was going through and maximizing the deductions. I, I think, you know, I, I I can't remember exactly what it is for our filing fee, but it's it's like, maybe $600 and if like TurboTax would be, you know, 100 to 200 or whatever it is. So like you're looking at not paying that much more, you're not paying that much more. You're getting an expert to go through. You get to have a conversation. You have the confidence and comfort knowing that it's being done right. And that, that hopefully you're, you know, you're audit proof and in the way that you file, Um, you know, you won't have to go through and do an amended return, which actually costs you money and going through and, and having to refile. In some ways, you're almost tripping over dimes to pick up pennies mm-hmm. by by saving money and going with the with the TurboTax route or or some other tax prep software. So, um, just you know, it's good hearing you say that. I would absolutely recommend it. It's just something that, again, you know, people go to school for several years to get an understanding of what it is that you're trying to 
fake it till you make it. And it's just not. And do a lot of continuing training and education to keep up to speed too. That's right. And so this leads to my next question too, which is that sometimes in a specific state where you're doing business, there can be very local rules, regulations, requirements, um, especially when it comes to taxes. Uh, It can even come down to municipalities where you, you know, with a particular municipality in a state could charge sales tax for a different thing than another. And payroll taxes are different from state to state, depending if you have out of state, you know, the rules and regulations on contractors versus uh, employees, you know, especially with California, all of that stuff can be pretty, you know, minutiae. And so how important is it for business owners to look for, if not a bookkeeper, at least an accountant who is familiar with their state tax laws? I don't think it's as important if you find the right person. Okay. So we work with clients all over the US. I think it's more important to have someone that's familiar with your business size and industry that is then willing, able, and has the capacity to look up regulations in your area. So every year, all of our retainer clients, we review the state they're in, how they're selling, whether sales taxes change, whether they're now you know, liable for sales tax, because as we've watched over the last 10 years, a lot of photographers are now becoming liable for sales tax. And depending on if they're working in multiple states, do they need to be collecting sales tax in those states? So we review that for them. And then when we go through to file their taxes, we also have clusters of clients in a lot of states, you know, like we have a lot in Florida, we have a lot in Ohio, California, Washington, they just kind of pop up in clusters, but any states that we don't work with regularly, we take the time to do our due diligence, to contact the the municipality, to make sure that there's nothing that we're missing and do everything that we can on our end. I, if you have someone that's in your state, that's familiar with your industry, that's familiar with your organization size, by all means, that's like the trifecta, but make sure you're still asking them questions to confirm that they are familiar with where you're at. Like I'm newer to Boise. Over the last three years, I've spent a lot of time getting up to speed with Idaho because I hadn't worked with anyone that lived here before. I now have my business here. We have several clients here. And so it was something that I had to commit to getting up to speed to. So just because I lived here didn't mean that I was automatically an expert in the state. I think that's great advice. And I like the idea of looking at familiarity with the size of business and the type of business. State laws can be learned, but familiarity, pattern recognition, and and niche knowledge is something that takes years and years and years of experience, or at least a lot of repetitions to, to get good at. Yeah, no, it totally does. And I I think too, that we spend a lot of time on the phone with the states to make sure like, you know, when we are getting payroll set up, making sure that everything is taken care of, checking on contractors, because we do have a lot of clients in California and they are, we're going to say constantly innovating um, when it comes to regulations. And so keeping on top of that is something that we're actually looking to bring someone on to kind of manage that full time. I think this next year, not just California, but all of the states keeping up the regulations so that they can be checking in monthly and then kind of having our clients on a rotation because there are some states, and I don't know if a lot of people understand this. So I worked in sales tax, God, a decade ago, uh, keeping rates up to date, determining if things were taxable, you know, making custom libraries for companies because a lot of companies, large companies will just pay blanket sales tax on everything they sell when they don't need to be. So we would I've go seen that before and they, they collect yeah. it. And, and that the reason why that's important is not just because you're over collecting and giving it to uncle Sam, but because you could, you could actually save your clients money. You can give them a discount because you, you're charging them 8%, 9%, 10%, whatever it is when you don't need to. 
Yeah. Well, and like Illinois, I think is like 10.25. If you're in like Chicago, it's, it's absolutely insane. So yeah. And some, some spots in Washington, like Seattle, I think if I remember right, pops up pretty high. Um, so yes, if you don't have to be charging sales tax, it's a massive savings for your client, but also there's that teeter totter of like, am I confident that I really don't need to be charging sales tax? And some States, like we don't have anyone that's in Alaska right now, but Alaska is notorious. Alaska can call a meeting at any time in any of the cities or the counties, and they can change sales tax rates. There's not a designated like annual change, monthly change, quarterly change. So I used to have to call, they were one of the states that I owned. I used to have to call all of the municipalities on a monthly basis and see if something's changed. And sometimes they would just close down for four months over winter. You'd just be calling and like checking a box. And then sometimes they'd be like, oh yeah, we changed that last week. There's nothing out yet. Like there's nothing that we could find online. And so staying on top of that is just something that you have to make sure that you're confident that your bookkeeper, your accountant, your tax firm is on top of. And if they're not, because maybe you're not paying them for that, then that's something that you just need to be aware of and either decide to tackle it yourself, which I wouldn't do because it's exhausting or outsource it. Yeah. You know, if you're like anybody who's listening to this uh, podcast right now, you're probably having heart palpitations or your heart rate just increased over the last four minutes. And if that's you, if you're listening to it, I'll tell you right now, my, my resting heart rate is typically around 65 or so. I'm probably at like 85 right now. I'm like, hmm, I wonder if I need to call Caitlin after this conversation. Probably everybody probably should have a little bit more time with somebody who is an expert in understanding compliance issues because they're there are some guidelines that you've got to follow in business, some best practices that you would follow in business, but there are some things that you absolutely have to do. It's binary. Either you do it right or you are breaking the law. And so you want to make sure that on those compliance issues, you are always up to speed and accurate as possible. Absolutely. All right. I want to talk about two more things here. Uh, one of them is reporting. And I want to get your take on what are the handful of things that you feel like business owners need to pay attention to on a monthly basis or quarterly basis or annual basis when they're thinking about evaluating how things are going with their business? So two reports, the income statement or the profit and loss, depending on what software you're in, it'll be called one of those two things. And that is basically a statement of income and expenses. And when I say expenses, I mean business expenses. So if you're a sole proprietor or a single member LLC and you're paying yourself, paying yourself, you're actually taking owner's draws. So those don't show up on your income and expense sheet because they're not a business expense. And that's something that I think a lot of people get tripped up on because I know when we first bring someone on, we send an income and expense sheet over, they look at it, they're like, yeah, but where's, where, where's what I'm paying myself. That's a transfer of equity. It's the business profit is yours, whether you take it out of the business or not. And so I think a lot of people think of that as like, yeah, but it's one of the expenses. Like, it doesn't matter. You get taxed on it, whether it's sitting there or whether it's in your personal account. So when you look at that income and expense sheet, you want to look at, do you have any really high expenses that are recurring or maybe one off and do they make sense? And I think a lot of times we'll just kind of spend if there's money in the account and we won't have a lot of thought that goes around it. Like, Oh, there's still money there. We're good. Reviewing at the end of the month. What did I bring in? What did I spend? Am I okay with what I spent? Do I need to review my software or my dues and subscriptions? I think that's something that everyone should review once a quarter because it's really easy to have like a $25 subscription and a $10 one and a $5 one. 
you know, you're up to a hundred dollars of subscriptions you may not have used in six months, get rid of them. I do that personally. And in the business, every quarter, I check in with the team. Hey, is everyone still using their loom subscriptions? Cool. So doing that, checking your equipment, your office expenses, and your subcontractors, because subcontractors is another area that I can see expenses get really out of control. If they're justified, if maybe you're running a business where you're set up a little bit more, you know, as an associate setup, less of an issue. Your profit margins should reflect that. You should also not be working 24 seven if that's what you're doing and your associate you know, fees are higher in your business. And then at the very bottom, you're gonna see your net profit. And that is your income minus all of those business expenses that have come out. I would look at that month over month. And then I would look at the total for the year to date. I also think it can be really nice if you've been in business for more than a year to compare that to the same time period from the prior year. And you can start to see trends because what you feel may not be what happens in reality. Like for us, July and November are our two slowest months cash wise, which is bizarre because November is very busy, but we have this weird lull for the holidays where we don't have new bookings coming in and everyone's kind of checked out. You will probably start to see the same thing in your business. So if you hit the spot where you're like, Ooh, I kind of want to panic. I'm not feeling great. You know that every year in July, you're going to have a dip in income and it always comes back in August. So I think that can be really nice for informing yourself and managing anxiety. And then the second report to look at is your balance sheet. And your balance sheet is exactly that. It is a balance of your accounts. So you should have your checking account, your savings account, a credit card. If you have any loans, all of those balances should show on there. Your cash, so your savings, your checking should show as positive. Any loans, credit card debt, et cetera, should show as negatives or liabilities. And then you will have your historical information and your year-to-date information. So retained earnings, meaning what you've kept from the business profit-wise over the last however many years. You'll have owner's draw and you'll have owner's investment. Owner's draw would be anything that you have paid yourself. Again, assuming you're a single member LLC or a sole proprietor, you can still have owner's draws as an S-corp, but you should also have wages, which would show on the income and expense sheet. And you'll have owner's investment. Owner's investment or owner's contribution is if you put money into the business. And that just lets you know, hey, this is what I'm taking from here. This is like kind of a statement of where our cash is. Do I feel good with that? Is my credit card balance higher than I'd like to be? Does that correlate to my income and expense sheet? Like maybe I've been spending more than I've been earning and I'm sitting in the negative from last month. Am I good with that? Did I have to upgrade all of my equipment and I feel confident I'll make that back up? Should I maybe kind of chill on my spending? And so being able to review that, I think gives so much power over making decisions when you're future facing. You know, one of the things that I learned from my boss when I worked at Roche Harbor, the resort that I worked at here in the San Juan Islands, he was a CPA and and he worked for uh, Price Waterhouse back in the day. And he was, you know, kind of a, a guy that went through and loved running the numbers. And so to have a general manager of a hospitality organization that had an accounting background, it was a blessing and a curse. Uh, it was a blessing in many ways because we reviewed the numbers religiously. Every week we would sit down and we would go over 10, sometimes 15 years worth of historical data week by week. We, we reviewed all the numbers, you know, number of guest counts, you know, guest check average, covers, what time they came. I mean, everything was there. And, and one of the things that I remember picking up from him and he said, uh, Brent, his name was Brent. He said, Sam, you got to touch the numbers. 
You got to touch them. And he would tell the story of a fellow business owner on the island who at the end of every day, he would go through and handwrite with a pencil what the different numbers were for the departments within his company. And he would do that because that that act of interacting with it and writing it down almost etched it into his memory so that he was paying attention to what was happening. And one of the things that I often see with business owners is that they go too long without touching the numbers. And when you do that, all of a sudden you're blindsided by, wow, I didn't know I was spending that much money on this subscription or WTF, where do we, well, how do we have $26,000 in, in, in arrears for accounts receivable? Or, right. you know, wait a second, you know, why is this credit card balance sitting at this amount? And all those things need to be checked in on, if not weekly, certainly monthly. And that's what you do when you look at your profit and loss. You're looking for big numbers that jump out. Oh my gosh, there's a four-figure number where all the others are three. I wonder what that's about. Or, you know, there's a negative where there should be a positive on your balance sheet or what like something's out of whack there and you want to make sure that you're checking in on a regular basis. It doesn't have to be super complex, guys. It, it just it's something that you do uh, regularly and for a short period of time. And at anything, it just you can just mark it up and give it to your financial team and say, hey, I got some questions about this. Or can you walk me through what happened here? Or what can we do to reduce this number? And that's why you have a financial team that you outsource this to, because they're going to be your advisors in this very specific area. Absolutely. And I would also encourage everyone to be curious when you're getting into your finances, because I think there's such a tendency to just bury your head in the sand and either ignore them or get into them and be really hard on yourself. I look at it. I mean, this, this is also me doing this for a living, but when I go through clients reports, I'm curious, I'm intrigued, you know, Hey, what's the intention behind what you're spending here? Like I saw that you bought, you know, three things from B and H this month. Is everything okay? Do you have an insurance claim on your equipment? Are you upgrading? Are you switching? from Canon to Sony, like what's the bigger picture? And we have a conversation about it because spending money isn't inherently bad, but spending money intentionally, I think is what we need to be focusing on doing more frequently in our personal life and our business. That's perfect for this next question. And the last question I want to ask you, because I think that it doesn't get enough traction and that is financial management of your retirement. It is something that is something I wish that my upbringing would have had, you know, taught me earlier. I remember my dad was very big into investing and, you know, I, I, I was kind of around a little bit. My, I had some buddies who, uh, you know, were dumping money into, you know, a retirement account in their thirties. Um, you know, but I look back and like, I'm educating my 13 year old daughter on the effects of compound interest while taking mm -hmm. her to school because you can't get going early enough. You know, I'm plugging numbers in while she's got like a summer job and she's, you know, I'm like, Hey, check out what this $300 a week could turn into to by the time you're 50. Even if you just saved up the next four years, it can be $300,000 or whatever the number was. So any advice for people, obviously not in investing, but just in finding and prioritizing your retirement. People are always in the wedding industry asking like, what's your exit strategy? What are you going to do when you turn 45 or 50 and you're too old to carry the cameras or you've, you know, you, like you don't look like the people who you're, you're working for anymore. And, you know, what are you going to go to work at McDonald's? What are you going to do? And, and really, if you, if you are a savvy business owner and you start early enough and, and you save wisely and you invest wisely, you you can actually have a retirement or a semi-retirement as your exit strategy. So how, how big of a priority? When should people start looking at that? And what's the first move they should make in moving in that direction? 
<laughs> so when you're 18 or even before that, if you have parents that are savvy, the next best time to be doing that is today. And I think that the most common misconception and the biggest mistake that I see when it comes to planning for your retirement, for even just your future self, whether it's retirement or not, you know, investing, saving, all of that is thinking that you can't or you shouldn't do it until you have $500 a month or $1,000 a month to be putting to it. And that will mess you up in the long run so much. Do you have $50 a month now that you could be doing? Cool. You're going to start with $50 a month. You're going to start small. Three months from now, you're going to review it. Maybe that $50 a month feels really comfortable and you can bump it to 75 or 100. I did that over the course of the last four years and I'm now contributing so much more than I would have been contributing had I not started small. And I think that's the other mistake is people will then go whole hog, right? They're like, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to save all this money. I'm going to max out my retirement accounts. And you end up destroying your confidence because you went from maybe saving nothing or not prioritizing saving to putting five or $600 a month in retirement. And you're like, oh God, that's actually more than I had available without missing it. Like it's messing up my day to day. So, and that, I think nothing destroys your confidence more than having to like pull money back out of savings or out of an investment account when you've just gotten started. So starting small, starting with whatever you feel really comfortable, basically just having disappear. $50 is normally a really common amount for someone. And I recommend, I work with a, fidu a fiduciary. I love him. He was a financial advisor beforehand. We've known each other for 12 plus years. And I feel really confident going to him and saying, you know, Hey, John, I'm wanting to invest in more socially responsible investments and, you know, in ESG investments. I want my money going to those. And he was like, yeah, that's really cool. I support that, but those are really expensive because there's a lot of due diligence that go into those. He's like, so let's work towards increasing your portfolio in those. He's like, but let's also look at these other areas where we can diversify what you have going on. So you're not paying higher costs with your investments, but you're still doing something that feels aligned with who I am ethically. So that was really nice for me to be able to have someone because I may not have known that necessarily, right? If I didn't pay attention to the fees and get into everything else, if you're not comfortable working with a fiduciary yet, or maybe you're, and I've seen this happen, he charges 1% per year. So 0.25% a quarter, which is in my mind, nothing to make sure all of that is managed. I've had several people go, well, that's $50,000 over the course of my life. Okay. Those same people then waited two years to actually start investing because they didn't have someone to help them take action now. It's like, what's the opportunity cost of that two years now that you haven't been investing? So if you are like, you know what? I don't want to do it, whatever. At least start with a robo-advisor now. Get it into something that you feel comfortable with risk-wise. I really like either target date funds from like Charles Schwab or Vanguard or um, Betterment. Betterment has a great robo-advisor option. And then when you're ready, Look for a fiduciary. I don't prefer financial advisors because financial advisors, you can have great financial advisors. My fiduciary was one before he became a fiduciary, but something to know about financial advisors, they can be getting, generally they're paid on commission by the funds that they're investing you in. A, in my opinion, someone that's above board would be disclosing all of those. A lot of people don't know that and they don't always have to disclose that. Whereas fiduciaries, my fiduciary is fee-based. So he's not getting paid by the funds he's investing me in. I am simply paying him a percentage of what I'm investing overall. So I like that for transparency purposes a lot more and recommend a fiduciary. Um, and I would also ask for recommendations of other people in your industry. That being said, some things to be looking at a Roth IRA, a traditional IRA, Roth IRAs have income caps. I believe traditionals do too. Um, but if you're self-employed, a SEP IRA, 
or if you have employees, a simple IRA are two really great options. Uh, those are made specifically for small businesses and self-employed individuals. They are stupid easy to get started with. Mm-hmm. Like stupid easy, simple, tiny bit more complicated. Not much. It's what we have because we have employees. SEP is like basically the same as having a Roth or a traditional. And the nice thing is about a Roth, a traditional and a SEP is you can contribute to them up until you file your tax return for that year. So you can contribute this whole calendar year if you wanted for 2022. And then you could also contribute in, I mean, assuming that you're single member LLC up until like April 15th, or if you file an extension Extension. until Mm -hmm. October 15th, like that's a massive amount of time. And you can also have like what we do all the time for our clients is Hey, this is what it looks like tax-wise if you contribute this to your SEP. This is what it looks like if you contribute nothing. This is what it looks like if you max it out. Where are you falling on this? So you can see immediately how it impacts your taxes and then make a decision that feels good for what you have cash flow-wise and for your future self. But I think starting now with something. Just to get in the, the habit best of thing. it. Just to get yeah. the account open and get it started. And, and just to have it just running on, on autopilot in the background of your business. Yep. Assess yeah. it once a quarter when you assess all your subscriptions. Maybe you cut a couple of subscriptions that are $50 a month and you kick that $50 you know, into your retirement accounts. But the longer, my sister's seven years younger than me and I got her started at 18 because my dad has a pension. He was union. Like there wasn't a whole lot that, you know, he had to do retirement wise. And so a lot of this has been learned on my own. And I was like, Savannah, you have to get started now. Like you're working a good job. You're she basically got paid to go to school, which is insane. Like put that money aside because even when you hit like 27, 28, 29, and you have to move out, maybe you can't contribute for a few years. That nest egg that you've built still has so many more years to grow now because you put it in at such a young age that it will make a monumental difference on the end versus had she waited until 30 when she was financially stable. Yeah, such good advice. Such good advice that you gave to your younger sister. And uh, I think my daughter hopefully will look back on this 50 years from now. And while she's laying on the beach, sipping a pina colada somewhere with a (laughs) mega mansion behind her and a boat out in the harbor, she'll say, thanks, dad. Uh, Thank you so much, Caitlin, for the conversation. This has been great. Uh, I've learned a ton. And I'm like, as soon as this ends, I'm reaching out to you for some advice on a couple of very specific issues that I have. Uh, if I were to do that or other people were interested in doing that, what's the best way to get more information, consume some content or even reach out directly to you? So consuming content would definitely be Instagram. We have a company Instagram. It's the freelance CFO. There is so much information in there. Um, I work really closely with our social media manager and she has just been on fire the last six months. So that's great for learning, educating, consuming free content. If you're wanting to know more or learn more about what we do, our website is the freelancecfo.biz. There is a contact form on there that has a questionnaire that you fill out. And there's also all of our services. There's getting started, there's retainer bookkeeping, there's taxes. And then there's all about us, who we are, who we work with, so that you can get a really good feel for the team, because that I think is actually the most important aspect is knowing, liking, and getting along with who you work with, because you can find skilled people, but having someone that, you know, you really vibe with for lack of a better term. And then we're on TikTok. So the freelance CFO, and then I also have my own personal accounts, which are Caitlin period Magnuson, both on TikTok and Instagram. And I put a lot of content out about being a business owner and navigating, you know, the new, the new workplace, especially, you know, during and post pandemic. That's great. Caitlin, thanks so much. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Boom. 
That's it for this episode on Own Your Business. If you've heard me on a stage or a workshop or someone else's podcast, you know I have a hard time keeping it short, but I know you're busy. So thanks for spending time with me today. You have a ton of options for guides when it comes to getting you to where you want to go. I hope you found someone you can continue to trust. If you have a friend who could use practical strategies to own their business, please share this episode with them. If you can't think of anyone in particular, we'd settle for a quick review on whatever podcast platform you listen through. 